Today's episode is sponsored by Selena's Mexican Restaurant and Taqueria in Rochester, New York. Selena's is celebrating our 25th year in Rochester, and we are proud to continue offering fresh-made, Mexican-inspired recipes that are affordable and served by Rochester's best. Check out our event space for private occasions, as well as our catering menu for groups of 10 to 2,000. Looking for something different to do? Selena's hosts monthly tequila tasting classes, as well as corporate team-building seminars. Check out the website to learn more, selena's.com. S-A-L-E-N-A-S dot com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jazzcast Pros. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Getting Real with Bossy. Kelly is getting real with tequila right now. Right? I mean, this is so up my alley. I know. Do you know how excited I was for this interview? And yes, I ordered it. Mara, I told you I was going to order it. I did order it. I've got it. Mm-hmm. Tequila is your thing. Hearing her story, it's this Mara Smith who owns Inspiro Tequila. There's so many things that I feel like she's aligned with with you and I being in that a woman in a very, more so than us, a very male-dominated industry. I couldn't even find stats. So I know that there are some women-owned tequila brands. This obviously is one of them. There's a, a decent amount. So I tried to find legitimate stats. The only stat I could find was that 11 out of 174 distilleries, so mind you, distilleries isn't brands, distilleries is like the the big warehouse that makes multiple brands, are run by women. Does not say that they are owned by women. Mm -hmm. Just that they have like the head manager is a woman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's how male-dominated this industry is. Mm -hmm. You can't even find Not even stats. Yeah. Well, she's going to talk about her first production, and I think her story is really going to show how important it is to really stand behind your brand and that if it doesn't align with your vision, it's it's just not okay. And that's something that you and I talk about a lot. It's what we talked about at our last speaking engagement about how how important it is to know your mission, vision, and values for yourself personally, how to know that for your business, and how to align the two and what to do when they don't align. And that's the hard part, right? Mm-hmm. What, what do you do when all of a sudden things aren't where you want them? Right. And just, you know, that staying authentic. Like, this is why I created this business This is what I believe in. And really looking back on those mission, vision, values, making sure they align really keeps you authentic and making sure that you're doing things for the right reasons Mm -hmm. and that the things that you're doing are aligning. Right. And that's hard to keep track of when you're, you know, constantly putting out fires and just in the whirlwinds of keeping your business alive. Right. It's one of those working on your business instead of in your business moments Mm -hmm. that are so hard to find as business owners, which is why we instituted our monthly co-working, which we don't talk about. Right. Um, that we have a free co-working event every month just to sit down and get out of your business. It's so important. And they, one thing we always have realized with Bossy that it doesn't really matter what industry you're in. We're all facing the same challenges. And being in a group, a safe group, to talk about some of the challenges I've gotten so many, so much help and insight from people whose businesses are completely different than mine. 
And I love that. And it always comes out of those co-works. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It is still International Women's Month, though, as we all know, women run the world and it's always International Women's Day. That's right. In our world. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Kelly. The host of Getting Real with Bossy, the real, raw, and honest podcast about small business ownership. With our experience, nine businesses in over 25 years, we continue to bear it all and share what we wish we had known. We move past the must-be-nices and start getting real. Come along as we interview small business owners and get the true story. We are so excited to have Mara Smith with us here today from Inspiro Tequila. I have so many questions because I don't even know how you could have gotten on this journey with your background. So I'm so excited to dive right in. Hi, thanks. It's so nice to be here. And you're in Chicago, correct? Yes. I'm in Chicago. You'll you'll hear the Midwestern accent come out. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. My, one of my good friends is from Minnesota, so just throw it on me. I love it. So Mara, you started your professional career as a lawyer. Yes. Many moons ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine you probably have to drink some tequila to get through those hours and some of those. What kind of law did you practice? So um, I was at a really large law firm in Chicago um, practicing transactional law. So commercial real estate, secure transactions, securitizations. So got a, a lot of great experience really quickly. It was exciting. I actually really liked it, but I then made a transition, so many transitions in my my career, but I moved to the corporate strategy department. I decided to go on the business side. My undergrad degree was in business and decided to go on the, the business side and, and not practice law and moved to the corporate strategy group of a Fortune 500 after that. And it's really because of the time that I was practicing law, and I hope things have changed since then, but <laughs> there were no women partners in my entire department. So when I was starting to contemplate having a family, I had no role models to see how you could like possibly balance big law firm life with um, having a family. Sure. And so I kind of didn't see a lot of options as far as like being able to stay. And the only options would really take me off like the partnership track or you're part-time, but that means you're paid for part-time, but you're probably working full-time and you're not getting like the big sexy deals that I like to do, kind of getting the very routine, um, monotonous work. So that's why I left and like moved to the corporate side of things. Okay. Worked in corporate strategy. Did you always want to be a lawyer? Yes. I mean, when I was like Little, little. I, I guess I always wanted job security. My dream job was to be on the Supreme Court. I wanted to be a Supreme Court justice, like, right? So I wanted a job that you would have for life. That's amazing. Yeah. I think, I mean, I wrote in like an essay in grade school that I was going to go to Northwestern Law School. Wow. And did you go? Yes. <laughs> that's where you went? So, I yeah. love those stories because every once in a while you meet somebody that's been on a track since they were little and it's just so inspiring and beautiful to see because like having kids, I always wonder like what they're going to end up doing versus what they want to do right now. Because usually it's not what they say they want to do when they're seven years old. Um, so yeah, that's amazing. And so you oh. always wanted to be a lawyer to have job security and this amazing job, but then you decided to own your own business. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where that happened, a major pivot. So you know, things don't always go according to plan. Well, listen, we talked about that, like wanting job security, being really myopically focused on what I'm going to do, how I'm going to get to law school, what I, every step that needed to be, you know, achieved to get to that goal, then taking the big 
law firm job to pay off my law school loan. So everything had been like really kind of like strategic and planned out. But because of that, I never thought of other options. So it kind of never occurred to me that there are all these other, you know, directions I could go or ways I could use a law degree that did not involve practicing law. Yeah, because that's a really linear path strategy. and business ownership is, yes. is not at all. So it's it's not. <laughs> and I also was really risk averse, I guess, as opposed to maybe some people, I became a little more risk tolerant later in life. When I was working corporate strategy, though, I suddenly my eyes were opened to like all these different like opportunities. So I was um, studying consumer trends and looking at insights and we were ideating for the company. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, this would be, look at all these different, you know, industries you can look at. And I started at that time contemplating opening my own business. I was going to open um, a branch of an ice cream franchise. Now, Chicago, not the best locale for an ice cream (laughs) franchise. So I scratched that, but it just, that's when I kind of just feel like my entrepreneurial spirit was sparked. I just started thinking of things and thinking of ideas and what kind of company would I start? Now, again, things never go according to plan. No. I became pregnant with my oldest children who are twins and ended up on emergency bed rest. So my corporate career came to a screeching halt very abruptly. Like I was immediately in the hospital on bed rest for three and a half months. Then I had preemie twins. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And made the decision to stay home. Very fortunate that I had that option, but I had preemie twins. And so my most recent job um, was a stay-at-home mom because I have another child who's nine and a half years younger. So I was out of the workforce for 16 years. Okay. And so I guess instead of trying to pound down other people's doors, I just built my own door as far as how I was going to re-enter the workforce. I'm going to write that down. So what were some of the things that you, I know. I'm writing it down. Well, and it's funny too, because the first thing I learned as a parent was that I can control nothing. And I didn't realize how much of my life I had been controlling until that day happened (laughs) where you lose control of everything. I even tried to control my pregnancy. As you know, that doesn't work. You would think that being risk averse would be higher after you start having kids and a family. But really, I think that having kids in a family kind of breaks down those barriers and those walls of of what we want to achieve and how we're going to get there because every day is different and there's constantly issues you have to balance. So when you first started talking about it, I was like, oh, that's so insane that she got you know less risk averse later in life. But then now that I think about it after hearing about your preemies, I'm like, well, you probably had everything crashed down and everything yes. <laughs> you had hoped and dreamt for is is now out of your control. Totally. And it teaches you some flexibility. They probably didn't have before, right? So I was so planned. Everything we talk about, like my career path, everything, you know, my days, my my weeks. And then now, as you mentioned, like no day goes as planned with children. So I learned a lot of, it, of flexibility, which is critical to running a startup mm-hmm. um, and having your own business because every day there's another obstacle. And 
being flexible, figuring it out, um, coming up with plan B and plan C to like, you know, overcome problems. That's essential. So I actually think there are skills that I honed staying at home that I think are directly applicable to me being able to run a business. Oh, definitely. So tell us how you how you eased into the idea of tequila. So you're a lawyer, you're on this fast track, you everything gets halted. Now you have kids in the home, you're a stay-at-home mom, and you're looking to create your own door. Why tequila? And then tequila. I mean, that's like left field. I know. I knew I was going to start something to be a consumer product. And you would be food or beverage. I am a super consumer. If you saw the number of items that I purchased from Shark Tank and taste test at <laughs> home, you would be alarmed at what my pantry looks like. I just love taste testing. I like trying new products. I'm just a consumer. And the reason it became tequila, and I thought of lots of different concepts, but then I kept coming back to tequila. I thought about, I am a tequila drinker. That's been my adult beverage of choice. I thought it fit into my more active, you know, healthier lifestyle. I thought it was like a little bit better for you. I didn't feel as lousy the next day. So I was drinking tequila. I did not realize that the tequilas I was drinking, all of them contained undisclosed additives. So when I started researching, I'm like, I'm going to taste test and try other brands and researching the category, I discovered that. So really, I was like, well, I thought I was drinking something that was better for you. I did not know it had sugars and aspartame and circulose and like right. all these and glycerin. So I really was like, okay, I I want to find something additive free. The other piece of it was that I did see a market opportunity. All these women kept telling me that tequila is their drink of choice. And I would go up and down the aisles of our local liquor store and look at the bottles and look at everything and the messaging. And it's like, really? If there's so many female tequila drinkers. Why are brands not focused on her? Because I don't see things that are appealing to me as a consumer. Like marketing using dark club scenes and scantily clad women was not appealing to me. Bottles with skulls and like depictions of agave fields, not resonating with me. So I just thought- So masculine. If women make up about half tequila drinkers, which I researched and found, and they actually make over 80% of all purchasing decisions- this seems like a really significant customer that people are not addressing very well. Yeah. As in most parts of life, we're overlooked uh-huh. and undervalued, even though we're controlling everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, I mean, something we talk about all the time, Kelly and I being in the restaurant industry, which is typically run by women, but owned by men. This is kind of why we're here. So your story is definitely resonating with us and I'm sure our listeners too, because there are many times we have to break down that door again and again and continue building new doors. So. Right. Well, you know, spirits, like, you know, the salespeople from spirits brands come in and Mm -hmm. they look for the buyer. Yep. And if you raise your hand, you're like, I'm the buyer. They're like, wait, well, where's, where's the beer buyer? Where's the alcohol buyer? No, I mean, that happens all the time. I go into accounts and there's one, she's like so excited that I didn't think twice about it because right. it didn't occur to me to think twice. She's like, I'm the buyer. She's the one who handles the programming and menus. But, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a major shift in the kind of mentality. There. Sure. So you knew tequila was something you like. Do you have entrepreneurs in your family? Is this something that kind of you always knew would be 
in your life or were you the first one and your family said you're insane (laughs) or both? (laughs) Actually, interestingly enough, well, we talked about that I really did not have that entrepreneurial book. I did not see that in my path, regardless of anyone, whatever, and did in my family because like I was just like, okay, I'm going to take this like secure, big corporate job. So that definitely was not like, I did not foresee that at all. Surprisingly, I thought when I told people I had this idea that they would think I was crazy. And I did what many women do. Before I even put that out into the universe, I had done a tremendous amount of research. Mm-hmm. So I had already researched the industry, took a course offered by the CRT, the governing body in Mexico over tequila, and became certified in the production and history of tequila making. I had studied the industry. I had studied spirits in general. I understood the laws, the compliance, three-year distribution, all the production methods of tequila. I had, like read books, listened to webinars. So before I would even like kind of mutter that to people – I wanted to make sure I had done a ton of due diligence. Sure. I think women tend to do that and want to go in. I think if I was a man, I possibly would have gone like, I'm starting a tequila company and like to see who (laughs) thinks it's like a great idea. Right. Um, Fist bumps all around. I did a lot of research first. Yes. And I think because people know me and know that when I say I'm going to do something and I'm really dedicated – and that I would come in with a lot of information and not just like throw things at a wall, that no one actually, surprisingly, my family did not say, what are you thinking? What are you doing? They're like, oh, that's great. Cool. It's like, that's really? great. So we were on board. That's awesome. And you mentioned the CRT. Uh, listeners probably don't know what goes into tequila and how strict and regimented the government of Mexico is on their product. I always use champagne because I feel like people yeah. kind of have a general understanding. Champagne can only be made in Champagne, France, Champagne, whatever. <laughs> and if it's bubbly anywhere else, it's bubbly wine. And I, I feel like people kind of understand that. I know there's a lot more political regulation and Lots of innate details, because if you look at the maps of where tequila can be made, it doesn't always follow along with what they say. When you're doing all this research, did you ever look at it and go, oh my gosh, this isn't something I can pull off? There's just too much going into it. I mean, there's a ton going into it. I think I I probably, when I started, no, because I didn't know what I know now. But, you know, yes. So tequila is like champagne has to be done in appellation of origin to be called 100% agave tequila. So if you see a bottle, it doesn't say 100% agave, you know that it's probably not very good quality and it's mixed with some other grains and things like that. And probably the tequila people have like really horrible memories of or, you know, maybe why the smell. College tequila. tolerate anymore. <laughs> exactly. So you want 100% agave tequila. That means it's made in certain regions of Mexico were produced within Jalisco. That's the you could, everyone within the entire state of Jalisco, you can produce tequila. The missing piece there is that people don't realize, even if it says 100% agave, it still can contain additives. So additives are allowed. Um, and aged expressions, which means like something that's gone in barrels like a Reposado or Añejo, like up to a certain percentage. And even in unaged expressions like a Blanco, which people might know as a you know silver or a Blanco, they're allowed to add things like flavoring, coloring, glycerin. So that's kind of the piece that I didn't necessarily appreciate is that, well, I saw 100% agave. It must be all, you know, just pure Blue Weber agave. But that is not the case. 
which is why, so when we, when I researched this, I had to figure out like the different production methodologies and what we could do and how can we create an approachable tequila that's additive free with sweeter tasting notes. I also, I mean, it was not just the production piece of it in Mexico finding distillery, but I, if I was going to do this, I really wanted to bring a female perspective by having women involved in every aspect. So we actually are distilled, owned and led by all women. So I wanted to find a master distiller that could bring it to life. I basically brought my own chef into someone else's kitchen because I found my own master distiller to, to bring her into the distillery to create the taste profiles. So you have an all-female all female yes, all master female. distiller. She's an amazing master distiller that happens to be a woman, but I wanted her to bring our um, expressions to life and like really my vision and what I was looking for. And so she did. So everyone from our master distiller in Mexico to our how to sales and marketing to, I mean, um, we just, we try to have as many female voices involved. My entire advisory board, it's an all female advisory board. I, I wanted it to be authentic and not that there's like this one woman who happens to be involved. And then everyone behind me are like, you know, industry exec men. I, I really wanted to, and I thought who better to really, to address this consumer. So if I'm focused on this female consumer, I think it's hard for a group of men to sit in a room and knock their heads together and figure out like, what is she like? What is she really looking for? And I think this is a consumer I know uh, and that we know on our team so that we can really speak to her directly. So how do you find a master distiller? Yeah, because this is all happening in like the beginning of the pandemic, right? Like this is a time where communication is not that easy with other countries, I would imagine. So I couldn't get to Mexico at all. I could go on Zooms and stuff, but you couldn't get to Mexico. It was closed. And it kept closing. Every time we were about to go into production, it kept closing. So I couldn't get there until like a year later. So I read a book on all the women in tequila. It's like a very small book. And <laughs> I was able to find the women who own distilleries, master distillers. Um, I really wanted mine, Anna Maria Romero, because she developed the aroma wheel in tequila. So she identified 600 aromas in tequila and where they're produced in the production process. For me, I thought with this consumer in particular, getting the aroma and the nose of it right and how that affects the entire taste profile, I thought was really essential. So that's why I, I really wanted Anna Maria Romero. And I had tried other products that she had created and I, I just liked what she had made. So she's been our master stiller ever since. Oh, that's awesome. We use the aroma, aroma wheel in some of our tequila classes and it's it's almost entertaining the first time you look at it because there's so many things on it that you wouldn't expect to see on an aroma wheel. So we always, you know, show it to people so they can get a kick out of it and then actually explain that all of these things actually are there for different yeah. reasons. If you do a tasting with her, she starts an official tasting, which is amazing. I actually bought her aroma kit with these like little mini aromas and goes around and you smell them and you're like given a sheet of paper and you're trying to see who, if you can identify what the little oils are and identify the aromas. And then see if you can identify the aromas that you smell. First, see if you can like figure out what they are and then what, which ones you can identify in the tequila. So it's really, it's a really fun, fun. interesting experience doing that with her. That's amazing. So how, how did it go? You, you guys collaborated, everything worked out great as all small businesses start up and everything was perfect and it's been great ever since. Well, you know, there's always issues with production and that's like just all the time. I mean, 
she's still our master seller. So that part is great. But production wise, there's there are a million things that happen. There's thing, you know, we were talking about the pandemic, bottle delays. Uh-huh. Um, you know, actually our first so because I couldn't get there, um, she's very, she was very specific about her recipe. And the distillery didn't follow like one small, it seemed small piece of it, which was like to let the agave cool for a certain amount of time before going into fermentation. And I was so excited to finally get my samples. They sent me samples. I was like chomping at the bit. I was so excited. Finally, I couldn't get there. I got samples and I tried it and I basically started crying. I'm like, I don't like it. I don't like it. And they didn't follow that one specification. It went in too hot. So it, it impacted the fermentation process, which is like the critical part of the the process for tequila and she didn't like it. And they were recommending, well, maybe you just take this batch and the next batch and you blend it. And I was like, that sounds like a terrible idea. Mm. I don't want to take something bad, something good and get something mediocre. So I scrapped the whole thing. So our entire, our entire first run, um, I did not use. So it set us back and this is, you know, name of the game. I feel mm-hmm. every, every start of this, listening to this is like had a similar yep. experience. Um, but I feel like I'm not a natural born salesperson. So the only way for me to sell something is because I have to really, really love it and believe in it. And I just didn't love it as disappointing as it was. And I had to get it to the, I had to get to the point where I was like very excited and this would be my drink I go to. Right. The Union Tavern is a beautifully restored building with a rich history and views of Lake Ontario. Featuring New England favorites and hearty comfort food, everyone will have a favorite dish. From large groups to intimate dinners, there's plenty of space to celebrate special occasions. Come visit us at 4565 Culver Road, right across from the Jackrabbit. And for for the listeners, if you're thinking about truckloads of agave that have been grown, picked, and roasted at this point, the amount of work that goes into that. Um, a lot of people don't know how long an agave plant, just one plant, has to grow for. So how long are your agave growing for before you're even picking them? Yeah. So we have a minimum of six years. So ours are growing for at least six years, if not more. Um, so it's not like you can just like run out and right. get some get some more agave from the store. No, no, <laughs> no. And it's a process. Listen, tequila is a very meticulous, like traditional process to make it. It's not a neutral grain spirit. There's a lot that goes into that. You know, that's why every tequila has a little bit of a different taste profile. And I'm sure since you do tequila tastings, people can tell the difference between them. There are some spirits we probably couldn't tell the different, you know, the nuances, but tequila has a lot that goes into it. So um, the it's, it's kind of all about the process. Yes, a lot of people can create um, – some tequilas really quickly if you use, like, I'm sure you know the terminology, but a diffuser and you can make Blanco tequila in 60 hours, right? So you can, like, turn it out really quickly. You can use younger agave, but you have to add additives then because you can't get the taste. You come up with, like, a neutral spirit, and the only way to give it any flavor profile is by adding to it. So if you're not going to use additives, the process piece of it is really important. What what a commitment to your product to know – what that must have taken to just scrap that entire first batch. I, I I can't imagine. It's amazing. And I think it's innately what a woman will do. And you have to stand by your product and that's proven right there. So right. well done. You know, we want to be meticulous 
and thoughtful. Like I think our consumer is thoughtful mm-hmm. and we want to be really thoughtful. I just, I keep thinking back to that moment of like, you finally get it sent to you and you taste it and like all of your hopes and dreams. I imagine yes. it's probably very similar to like when you got put on bed rest <laughs> or like you have to get pulled out of work and you're like, oh, this is everything I've worked for is now done. Totally. You know, but I think that's the key, honestly. What I've learned, probably my biggest learning in entrepreneurship is there are a lot of waves. There are a lot of great highs and a lot of low lows, but it's like how you can maintain like that steadiness. You can't get overly excited mm-hmm. and you can't get overly like down kind of have to try and keep steady because if not, it's like, it's, it would be completely taxing. I'm like, it'd be, you know, total emotional roller coaster. And it is. Yeah. Op- optimistically yeah. pessimistic. That's what we all are. If <laughs> you have to, you have to live in that space. Yes. Um, gosh, that's. Yes. So earlier today, Kelly was telling me that you age your reposado Rosé. Rosé wine barrels. Mm-hmm. Yes. And rosé wine barrel. I, I have not had that yet. And I'm very excited. Um, I can't get your tequila from my restaurant, but I want to get it from out other places so that I can taste it. Um, what made you decide for rosé? And were there any issues in that? Like I've heard about bourbon barrels and things like that, but never rosé. Yes. So I had this great idea, and this is coming in from, as an outsider to the industry and not knowing what you don't know. I'm like, you know, I like rosé wine, but I don't feel good afterwards because all the sugar, But I and I like tequila. Is there any way we can like age tequila in rosé wine barrels? You probably know this um, because you're in the restaurant industry. I did not know that rosé wine barrels are like next impossible to find. Rosé is a young wine that is not traditionally barrel aged at all. So I started like scouring the earth and calling like vineyards all over the world to see if they had, I started researching, are there any rosé wines that are aged, which ones? Um, I I don't even know how many different barrel brokers I had contacted, but we finally found um, barrels that were formerly used for rosé wine in the south of France. And I was so excited. Uh, so yeah, and we, it's not, we actually ate the whole aging processes in the rosé wine barrels. Sometimes people finish in like a wine cask, but we actually, the whole aging process for a reposado. So it develops this really beautiful rose gold hue that is all natural. So sometimes you see some pink tequilas out there, but maybe they're adding coloring. It's just, we don't use any additives. So it also just provided a very different taste profile. It's really unique for a reposado because of the wine barrel aging. We're so excited to try That's it. Great. I love rosé and I can't I can't drink wine anymore at <laughs> all. I can't metabolize it. It's just a disaster. So when I saw that I was like, "Oh, amazing. I can't wait to try it." That's incredible. Now, have Thank you been you. open long enough to have an anejo or are you planning an anejo? <clears throat> I had no plans for an anejo. We may end up at some point with like a very small batch, like a limited release, and that's just because sometimes we test different barrels to see like how they develop. Like we started out doing this double barrel aging and then we like left it in. So we may, depending on how it comes out at some point, have like a really limited release. It just was not planned as far as part of our like repertoire of SKUs. I just want to focus on Blanco and Rosa Reposado and get those done well. And it's a lot of time and effort when when you don't use the additives to like create consistency very easily because you can like tailor it so much easier, sure. you know, more easily at the end, the finished product, 
it takes a lot, especially for Reposado. There's just a lot that goes into it to get like the taste profile on the, you know, to be the similar. It's never going to be exact same because it's, you know, going to vary when you don't use anything um, and get the color profile right. Right. It depends on how often the barrels have been used, how they were cleaned, how many are new, how many are old, what you're blending. So there's so much that goes into it that I think I don't have it in me to add another <laughs> really complicated. Fair skill. enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Blancos are generally not aged or aged very minimally. Uh, Rappos are aged a little bit longer and Anejos are aged for quite some time just for the quick overview. So if you take in the fact the plants have to grow for a minimum of six years, then they go into production and then you're putting it into a wine barrel and letting it sit for a set amount of time. Um, the amount of, of forward work you have to do in hopes that this product is going to be sellable at the end. Right. Is quite intense. Yeah, it's a time, you know, time intensive process. And even our Blanco, our Blanco takes a minimum of like 60 days just to produce our Blanco because we have it stabilized for a minimum of 30 or more days. And we actually, so yes, Blancos can go into um, barrels for up to 60 days. We actually rest our Blanco for a very short time in former bourbon barrels. So that's how we develop those sweeter notes without using the additives. So even that takes time because we do put them for a short time in barrels. So, and then a Reposado, yeah, you're talking two to 12 months and then an Añejo is one to three years. So they take a lot of time. So you're like, I want to do a startup business. I want to do <laughs> it, it in a country I can't get into. <laughs> I want to do it with a product that's really, really tepid and any kind of plight. I mean, you're working with a natural product. So any any kind of disease or weather pattern change. I mean, you're, there's so many variables going into this product and the amount of time and energy it takes. And then it's sitting like, so you, you were like, so I'm going to start this business and I'm not gonna be able to make money for a while, even to like, like bring in money, not even like profit, just I can't bring in money. Yeah. <laughs> I have nothing to sell for a while. <laughs> yes. It's, I don't know. It, it's fascinating. You know what it is, Kelly? That you did it. I love it. It's inspiring. Most highly regulated industries. <laughs> it's inspiring. Thank you. <laughs> right. So what I are know. you saying about the industry? I'm saying, and then you add on top of that that we're it's one of the most highly regulated industries. So like every state operates as as its own country. So it's like navigating the rules, regulations in every single state, the three tier distribution system, which means that I can't sell direct to any consumer, bar, restaurant, retailer. I have to have a distributor. So you had that whole layer of the legal complexities. And yes, you would question why why that sounded so appealing to me. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I would love to do it. But I'm like, you know, these are all the reasons that I would be hesitant to do it. And you were like, this sounds great. Let's do it. I like a challenge. Yeah. So how did you come <laughs> up with the name other than we do think this is all very inspiring? Where is that? Tell us how that how that came about. So, Inspiro is named um, in honor of my inspirations, my grandmother and mother. My grandmother uh, was the matriarch of our family, a Holocaust survivor, and a very strong woman who showed me and how to like be confident and believe in myself, and had you know a lot of belief in me and my abilities. And my mother. So these two strong women who kind of, I feel like, gave me the confidence to think I could do anything. I guess, it, I, you know, when you talk about how complex this was to enter in, 
I guess for some reason I thought like, well, I could do it. If someone else can do it, I can do it. And I attribute that to them. So Inspiro means inspired in Spanish and they are my inspirations. Oh, that's amazing. What an honor for that. That's Thank incredible. You. you mentioned the distillery. Where is the distillery? In Amatitan, Mexico. So we're within the region of like Guadalajara, like right outside of Guadalajara. Do you do tours ever? Because we're still trying to get back down there ever since the pandemic. <laughs> oh, amazing. I I don't know if our distillery does tours or not. Well, you have to let me know when you're going. Because if if mine doesn't, I know that's like bad to say, but like there are like some others. I've actually done a number of distillery tours because I think it's very, I think it's fascinating to see the different distilleries and production methodologies. So let me know and I can also guide you. Cause there's some that are just like open to it. Like ours, I don't know how it gets arranged, but some of them have like planned distillery tours. Like you sign up online and they have a tour. Ours is fairly small as far as like they don't produce for a lot of brands. So some of the bigger ones maybe do more because they produce like for a lot of brands. Ours is a pretty small one. We're the second brand there. And now I think they have like five. Oh, that's awesome. So that was my next question. So for tequila drinkers, one of the things is I try to explain, and I may have this wrong, so tell me if I'm wrong because I do not make tequila. I just geek out on it, is the NOM. And that lets you know that if you like a tequila, there's other tequilas made in the same factory or, or whatever the name may be, and that you might like them as well. Maybe. So Anna Maria likes to say that every distillery has like a thumbprint. There's like some like red thread that you could taste like something like similar throughout. But in a good distillery, because you're not using their like, I don't take a bulk tequila and tweak it. So my tequila will taste absolutely nothing like another tequila made in my distillery. We have different specifications on the agave. Some of them can use different water supplies, our cooking method, the yeast type that we use. So, you know, you can tell when a NOM is maybe a, a good NOM because they make a number of like good products, but they may make some that are great and some that you don't like. So I don't know. So there's maybe a common thread of some element that you can taste similar, but it's different than like maybe going to like a really big distillery where they're manufacturing for so many brands. They're probably, you know, a lot of consistencies there because people are just tweaking one element of it. Because if you're producing for 60 or 100 brands, you're probably not following exact, like exacting specifications and doing every single brand differently. Tequila Matchmaker is a great resource for people to look up to see where it's, you probably use it, where it's manufactured, which gnome number it is. And it also tells you if it's additive free because they had a confirmed additive free process. Now it's called the additive free alliance, but you can see which ones are additive free when you look them up on Tequila Matchmaker. So we, you were talking about Tequila Matchmaker and the additive yes. free. You can look up any tequila and see if it's additive free on their app. One of the things um, you mentioned was yeast. And that's why I always thought when I read that about the NOM that it would make sense is when I was down there, you notice how much yeast you smell everywhere and you don't think about tequila and bread, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, like if you're in a bakery, that yeast is in the air and it's going to affect all of the bread made in the bakery. If you're in a distillery and that yeast is in the air it's going to affect everything. And one of the distilleries we were at was talking about how they couldn't move because they'd been there for so long that it was affecting the production. And I had never like thought about how much natural 
things are in the air around you to create a product. Right. And there's so many barriers. You talk about this. It could be the time of year, like, right? It's rainy season, like three months or four months of the year. So like, you don't want to, you know, are you producing the agaves have a lot of water. So in the summer seasons, so things like that. So like it can vary based on the yeast in the air, based on the actual yeast, if you're adding yeast, based on the climate and temperature, right? Because that could speed up fermentation or slow it down depending on the temperature outside. So there's, because it is this like kind of natural um, traditional process, there are just so many variables which is the beauty of it. I mean, that's why you get so many different flavor profiles and why it's exciting to taste test new things because there's going to be some kind of variation. I love it. So I want to shift though. So one of the things I read about you was that when you started this process, because you were going to have so much influx of product being sold, that's a joke because we just talked about how long it was going to take you to sell a product. Um, You started the Purple Bicycle Project? Yes. So we actually have taken that to the next level. We're a certified B Corp now. We actually just put out our press release announcing it. So the Purple Bicycle Project was kind of like just the name of our giving back initiatives. Now, though, we've taken it to like another level as far as like diversity being integral to like all aspects of the company, not just like our leadership and ownership, but even at the level of like vendors, suppliers we work with and making sure we're working with diverse vendors, suppliers, transparency, being transparent about it, and an actual formalized commitment to give back. So we give back to not-for-profits that provide grants to female founders. So we provide small grants to female founders, or like we just sponsored a pitch competition, a female founder pitch competition. Usually the grant recipient of those, then I, I mentor, which is the fun part for me. So we provide grants and mentoring, and really we're just trying to elevate more more female voices like within our industry and in other industries. So if there's somebody that's looking to do a startup um, and is a woman, how would they find out more? Oh, to apply? Like our last grant we did with Enthuse Foundation. I mean, really, in all honesty, you should search pitch competitions and grants. Okay. I mean, Enthuse Foundation does grants and WFN does pitch competitions. I mean, I think that's part of the legwork you need to do. And In all honesty, I mean... I apply stuff nonstop. I'm in the finals for pitch competition for WeBank in a couple of weeks. So I think figuring out and finding those resources and applying is essential. We don't run it through our own site, but because we just find 501c3s to make sure that they're not-for-profits that are supporting those. But there are so many. I mean, you know, if you get um, women-owned certified, WeBank certified, they offer so many mm-hmm. services, webinars, training. I mean, I utilize like all of that. They run their own pitch competitions. I fund women does if you apply for that, they also we provide a grants through that one one year um, where they provide some grants to people that are that are fundraising on the iPhone women platform. It's like non-equity fundraising platform. So I feel like there are I mean, unfortunately, that's like a whole nother piece of the job when you're trying to run your business and Mm -hmm. startup, but I feel like it's kind of essential is to look at all those different Mm -hmm. opportunities. I would subscribe to the Hello Alice newsletter because they always put out what different, you know, I apply to stuff all the time and they'll put out their things to apply to. I think for me, the significance of getting B Corp and us providing from the very beginning before we had any sales 
grants and sponsoring pitch competitions demonstrates that you can do little things. So often people think, well, I have to be this big corporation. I have to have all these funds to be able to, you know, um, invest back in or provide like a significant grant. And to me, it was showing that like, though, there's so many little things you can do to elevate other women-owned businesses. So I buy women-owned, I gift women-owned. It's like little things, answering the email that you get, making a connection, connecting to women that you think would be like a great connection to help both of their businesses. And for us, it's also providing these small grants. My last one was Community Connections Grant. And that's because I found being part of networks and organizations really helpful um, in building a supportive community. Going back at this alone with a no business network, that was crucial. So we provided us this Community Connections Grant. And with that, I gave guidance. I actually mentor the winner on which organizations would be good for her and helpful for her to join or which conventions or things like that, how she should use it to build her own community. And being a B Corp is not easy. Like it's not easy to get certified. So no, that's, it's a that's a process. devotion. And can you explain to the listener what a B Corp is? Many people don't know what they are. So B Corporation, it's basically the premise behind it is that business for like a, for the greater good. So that it's either based on like environmental sustainability or social impact that there is like besides profit and being profitable, that there is another element that is critical and ingrained into the business. And as a community, B Corps are all really aligned as far as their mission to do good, like give back to the world and do good for the world. And so that's where we are, we fit in as like a social impact company because social impact and female voices, I mean, everything about the company, it's all, it's so ingrained into our, like our premise behind everything we do that it was like a natural fit for us that, you know, we're distilled, owned, led by women. We focus on female consumers. We try and work with women-owned agencies and vendors, and then we give back to other female founders and try and elevate them. We collaborate, we partner with women-owned businesses. So all of that is so part of our DNA, our company DNA, that it made sense for us to actually formalize that. And by being a B Corp, you formalize that. That means you have to like disclose all that, how much you're giving, what you're doing. Everything has to be tracked, what you're providing, what you're giving to charitable, you know, as charitable donations, it puts you to another level of like transparency in your business. And, but it is a very arduous process to do that because there, it's a ton of documentation. <laughs> it's necessary to get that. We had looked into it briefly and we were like, okay, maybe in 2024, yeah. we'll look at it again. <laughs> it's like, I'm really busy. Mm-hmm. Well, that yeah. support and the support of women business owners is mm-hmm. so important. It's, it's why we're here and do what we do. I think being a business owner is is kind of lonely in general. People really don't understand what it is that you do, even if they think they do or they're really close to you. Sometimes they still don't know exactly what it is. So having that support for that for that group is it, that community is so important, and you're really at the forefront of that, and that's incredible. And it is definitely why Bossy exists. We felt the need to support other women business owners. So I think we need to come out to Chicago and start a, start a bossy chapter out there. <laughs> you can help us run it. I love that. Definitely. I'm all about bossy that. Chicago. Great Chicago community. I'm at events, like let's say I'm an event tomorrow, the next day, I do a lot of events that are, you know, to bring together like other founders and female founders and 
support. So that is music to my ears. I'm glad. Oh, I love it. So now the tough question. So as a white lady that owns a Mexican restaurant, I know there's got to be some pushback on you owning a, a distillery for tequila. Is that something that you ever struggled with? No. I, and I don't own the distillery. They're co-packer, but I mean- I mean at the distillery, the company. I mean, sorry. You probably know, I don't know how many people you know that are have Mexican heritage that own tequila brands, because probably most of them that you know do not. I mean, as far as I know, George Clooney, Randy Gerber, I don't think they have roots in Mexico. I, I don't think any of the celebrities that have it. So I feel like if they don't get questioned, I'm not sure like why I would. I don't- it's not part of our messaging. I mean, talk about champagne. Lots of people make champagne, own champagne companies. They're not from Champagne, France. Like, it's just the the nature of the spiritual. It, I think it'd be different if I, like, put myself out as, like, I have, like, these are my roots, but I'm very clear. I, you know, I do not have roots or ties to Mexico. And, and the consumer I'm focused on is here, so even where I sell, I don't even, I don't sell in Mexico. I only sell in the United, United States. So I think I've heard that for some, and actually people only made those comments about one celebrity tequila brand, and she happened to be a woman. And I actually think that's kind of ridiculous. Um, I was going to say I'm not a huge fan of celebrity brands. The fact that the only person questioned for cultural appropriation was a female celebrity who owned a business and all of these male owned there are tons another one came but was announced last week who have absolutely no ties to mexico but they like tequila they start tequila company which is no i have no issue with but i don't know why the only person questioned was a female celebrity and i actually think that says something it says a lot i agree so my last tough question for you is, what are some of your favorite brands <laughs> that are not in Sparrow? Oh, tequilas that I would drink. I like G4, probably G4 Fortaleza and Ocho. Okay. Those are all amazing tequilas. They are all amazing tequilas. Have you had the Terralta from El Pindio? I have not. You should try it. It's it's. Did I give I gave that to you, Kelly? Yeah. No, oh, that was my aunt. Sorry. No, we have it. Because <laughs> we love G4. Yeah. We're huge G4 fans. But the Terralta is mineral water instead of um, the rainwater. So you can actually like taste the difference, which is fun. But yeah, those are all amazing brands. Yes. I have a very large tequila collection. Being a woman business owner, we call our business bossy because it's often what we are being called. Is that something you were ever called as a young person? Always. Yeah. I don't have an issue. It's with a that. trend. Yes. <laughs> no, that's why we that's why we use the mm-hmm. word. I've always been considered since I was little that I'm bossy. I like to say this. My mom, I, I feel like I get this from my mom as far as like we always would say people may not call us sweet, but they call us when they want to get shit done. So I'm okay with that. I think of it as like effective. I don't know that I think I think bossy is this negative term, you know, like connotation. I feel like it's and yes, I've been called that. I think more I'm, I'm really decisive. I make decisions quickly. I give feedback quickly. You know, I think it's less about having a negative feel about it. But yeah, I think even when I was this teeny little girl, I mm-hmm. think people told me I was bossy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, especially my brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's always men. So you've been a high-powered attorney. And now you are the founder of a tequila. Uh, what are you a fucking expert at? 
I mean, obviously, when it comes to contracts, and I'm a fool for a client, I do all my own agreements because, I mean, that is an area that I know yeah, really well. Yeah, that's fantastic. But I think actually, like, having this, like, high-level strategy, being able to, like, look at high-level is kind of my expertise. I think sometimes I'm better for even other people's companies than mine. I'll look in and say, why aren't you doing this and this and this? Like, you should be, like, here's how you should position it. Here's what you're like, the overall. So I do think I'm able to kind of take myself out of the weeds and look at, like, a really good high-level strategy. That's awesome. Those are both great skills. I think a lot of us would want to be experts at both of those things. Absolutely. That's amazing. Well, you're obviously an expert at tequila taste testing. So yes. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It sounds like we already have plans to come to Chicago and meet up in Mexico for some tours. So I'm really looking forward to getting those <laughs> on the books because I think they're necessary. And we possibly will be in Chicago in May for the food show, Kelly. So maybe – Maybe we can make okay, that happen. Well, you yeah. need to let me know. Yeah. So you can try Definitely. tequila here. So you can try Inspiro tequila. Yeah. I think we're going to probably try it well before that because I think it's already on my list to to do an order. So I'm excited about that. Gosh. Well, thank you well, so thank you. much. Well, thanks so much for having me. And I love talking to people who know to know their tequila. That's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah, incredible. We try. We don't, as we're not experts in tequila. We just really enjoy it. Well, That's how it you. starts. How can people find you, find out about you, get in touch with you? InspiroTequila.com, I-N-S-P-I-R-O, tequila.com. That's our website. And you can order and we ship from online if you're not, if, if we're not in your market. I'm best on LinkedIn in all honesty. So if you reach out to Mara Smith and follow me on LinkedIn, I share some tips and things like that along the way that I'm learning. And then Inspiro Tequila on Instagram and social media. So just at Inspiro Tequila. We'll put you on the list to follow up. I'd love to see see where you are in, in a few years and see how things are going. Yeah. And we'll, we'll reach out before May. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Yes, definitely. Let me know. Well, in a few years, I better be in the New York market. That's I hope so. Be going. So there you go. Yeah, I saw on your Instagram, <laughs> Massachusetts. So we're usually follow, We're usually like pretty close after Massachusetts. So I know. New York's a tough one. I know. New York is a very tough market. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Live it, love it, lime it with Selena's Mexican Restaurant at the Village Gate. Come for the food, stay for the fun. Become a part of Selena's family. Selena's offers daily specials, happy hour at the bar, and catering, plus dietary menus for celiac, vegan, and vegetarian guests. Find out more at selenas.com, S-A-L-E-N-A-S.com. The Union Tavern is a beautifully restored building with a rich history and views of Lake Ontario. Featuring New England favorites and hearty comfort food, everyone will have a favorite dish. From large groups to intimate dinners, there's plenty of space to celebrate special occasions. Come visit us at 4565 Culver Road, right across from the Jackrabbit. Well, that was Mara Smith. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Kelly, I'm so jealous that I am in our home basement studio and not with you right now because you've got tequila. It's so different. I've just never heard of tequila in rosé bottles before. And you can literally smell it when you open the bottle. Like, reposados always smell a little bit sweeter because they sit in the oak usually. Mm-hmm. But you can smell, like, the wine residue. It's very, very intriguing. And the bottles are sexy. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Right? So feminine. 
I mean, she talks about it in the interview, but they really are so feminine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you would walk into a liquor store and see this and be like, oh, I'll try that. I mean, tequila bottles are not known for um, being aimed at women. Right. And I think looking at that, you know it is. And I love, like, the pinkish hue on the, the reposado with the rosé. Yeah. I am, in, I am so looking it. forward to trying that. Mm-hmm. I almost smell it through the... Through the interwebs. I'm, a, I'm a, a Blanco girl myself, but this is really good. I think you're going to love it. And wait till you come over in a few weeks and then you can drink all of it with me. Love it. I can't wait. Mara is a true example of see, having a need, finding a way to meet that need and sticking it through and creating that brand. I mean, this, she needed something that didn't exist. And I think that's how so many brands are have started and I feel like so many people have those ideas in their head. I know Don has his million dollar idea list and I'm like, you need to follow through, follow through on some of those. Cause you know, a million dollars would get us out of debt. And also, you know, I think we all have these ideas, these needs that we see and there's so many businesses just brimming in people and she, she followed through and she did it. Even during a pandemic, even when the product wasn't right and she had to start over. And I can't even imagine what that costs, like emotionally and financially. Yeah, so I love that about Mara. And I love the idea because, you know, I'm a, a huge proponent of I have no idea where I'm going to end up. Mm -hmm. And I talk about it sometimes. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but I read The Alchemist at least once a year. Usually mm -hmm. when I find myself in like that moment of, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't have any control over my life. I'm in this like holding pattern. I don't like where things are. Just to remind myself that sometimes you have to scrub toilets for a little bit until you yeah. see the shiny item. Mm -hmm. And then you follow the shiny item and you find what you've always been looking for. And I think she's a great example of that. I don't think that she 20 years ago was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start no. these amazing sexy tequila brands mm -hmm. you know but here she is right so you never know where it's going to take you and to just really have that grit of life and sometimes you just have to follow where life is taking you to find out where you're supposed to be hell yeah all right well you can make sure to follow us on all your socials bossy rock roc and if you have any questions or you have any amazing ideas you think would be a great business, let us know. Reach out to us, bossyrock.com, again, R-O-C, and we'd love to hear from you and hear some of those ideas. Maybe we can help you make it happen or at least point you in the direction of somebody that we know that could do that for you. Thank you for listening. Be brave. Be bold. Be the boss.